stage and say we're going to do a good day. Chapel. 
Free Chapel, so I was charismatic. Then my parents divorced, stopped going to church for about five or six years. Uh, started dating a girl, got saved in a Baptist church. Uh, then started going to Redemption in Greenville, which is now Relentless, which is a whole thing. And anyways, Redemption was Pentecostal. And it was great, lots of jumping around and shouting. Then I ended up getting mad at the church, and I quit church for a while. I was mad at God and mad at Christians a lot. And then went to uh, college at USC and started back in the church in a Presbyterian church where there were only white people there, very rich, all professional, tons of money. The opposite and, of us. Yes. <laughs> and me, for sure. I was like, whoa, I don't own a single uh, multicolored polo, you know. <laughs> I didn't fit in. Um, and um, went from there, went to a Sovereign Grace Church, which is a reformed, and anyways, uh, and then went to Hope Point Church in Spartanburg here, uh, ended up being on the staff there, um, which is, they're more like us, they're pretty close, and then ended up going to seminary in St. Louis, which is a Presbyterian seminary for three years, and did a Master in Divinity there, and we went to a, a church there that was mostly black people, and was uh, Presbyterian, but very gospel uh, style, and uh, so we've been all around the, the church world, and Michelle's had her own church experiences, which are different than mine. So we've just seen a lot of different church stuff. So, uh, but we had gotten to a point here at Spartanburg, up com coming up to last year, that we we were just like, um, we we weren't going to church. We were looking for a church, but I was, I've been to all these churches, and I just had a problem with all of them, you know. And you know, I've, I just learned that you're never going to find a perfect church. Eventually, you have to accept a place and love the people there, you know. You, got to stop looking for the perfect thing. But um, we showed up here on the first day, and it was, it was not perfect. It was surprise, it was not perfect either. <laughs> I didn't think because I was going to say this is the perfect place. But, uh, I was say uh, but we showed up, and it was crazy, and Ricky will share his testimony, and I was like, well, that's good, but I'm a little scared. Uh, and, and I think one of the big things that we were looking for, though, especially me, was a place that wasn't about the politics that are real big right now in our country, the separation, the divide of people, people push making Jesus about being Republican or making them about being Democratic, you know, or do you love the children at the border, or are you anti-abortion, just getting into all these things <coughs> can be good things, but can really distract and separate people, and when I came here, I, I at least knew that this was really focusing on Jesus, just like you were just saying, it's all about Jesus and his kingdom. We kept coming, but we still weren't sure. Um, it's just a, a young church, a church plant. Things don't always go well here, and I think that's okay. Um, I actually don't think um, we should ever uh, shoot for the perfect service, you know, that perfect little crisp service that just comes off just up. Um, I think God is present here and working, and the long and short of it is we've decided to stay because we've become convinced of that. Not because we think it's perfect or the easiest place to go, uh, but we feel like God's at work. And um, I'm not a super spiritual person, even though I've been in the charismatic world a good bit. I don't hear God talking to me much, like ever. I don't feel His presence and say, say lots of, oh, I feel God leading me to this, I feel that. I mean, I feel like this morning and singing the songs, I feel like I can sense his presence. I don't, that might sound really weird to you. To me, I would describe it as 
I felt like we weren't singing to ourselves. I felt like we weren't just singing to that brick wall. I felt like there was an audience here. Yeah. The Holy One of Israel listening to us. Um, that's really all I got. We, awesome. we decided to stay and stick around yeah. because we sense that God is actually at work here. And that's we want to be that little part to play along with it and, awesome. and help you do that too. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So when you leave today, you better believe it, you're getting my number, and we're going to have coffee. Unless you just avoid me, and that happens too. But, like, I got I got coffee with Barry, and we were just talking, and Barry was just very, like, I could tell that he was, like, reserved. He was like, I don't want to get too close to you because I'm staying. And then as Barry and I have grown a relationship, he told me he was scared of my preaching because I'm too powerful. Like, I'm, I'm in your face. I make you feel unsafe. And the only thing that I could do was laugh because it was like, that is me. <laughs> My kids, all the time, they just feel so unsafe. <laughs> but that was one of, that's why I wanted Barry to share that, because just, it was so awesome to me to hear that, that he was honest with me. And he wasn't going to be like, I know your church is perfect. Now, this church is not perfect. This church will never be perfect. We will not be perfect until we stand before the Lord. Right? Then we find perfection with his holy church. So I want to hear, let you guys hear from one other person. So Barry and Michelle have been here since launch Sunday of last year. And then there's someone named Danielle. And we have other people who have the same amount of times, all that stuff. But Danielle, where is she? Over there. Danielle, come here. So it's funny because Danielle has been here since the beginning, the beginning, like when I started small groups. And I basically just bugged her until she started coming to a small group. So like, I'm going to let her tell you all a little bit about that. Okay, well, I'm Danielle. Sometimes I play from home. Um... So I didn't grow up in church. I didn't watch VeggieTales. Um, I think I went to Vacation Bible School a few times. Um, I knew about Noah and the Ark and Moses, and that was about it. So um, I never really felt at home at any church. Um, I knew there was a God. I thought he loved me, but I just, I don't know. I didn't really go regularly, didn't really have a church home. And like I said, I just never like truly felt like I belonged. Um, and about two years ago, I had moved back in with my parents, um, broken off an engagement um, to a very, very toxic man. Um, and I just felt like my whole world was shattered. Um, and I was left picking up the pieces completely by myself. And um, I had an alcoholic stepfather um, who was always like, where's this God that you say you believe in? Where is he now? You know, and so I was like, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, why, why did he, if there is a God, why did he let my mom marry someone who was so emotionally abusive to me? If there's a God, why did he let so many bad things happen to me in my childhood? If there's a God, why did I fail out of nursing school? Why did this guy that I thought I was going to marry turn out to be just horrible? And I was like, maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just not worthy. And um, so I started to really fill this void with anything that felt good. And um, it's, I got <laughs> um, just into a really, really, really dark place. And um, I felt I had no place in a church, in this world, nowhere. Um, and Ricky shows up at the coffee shop where I work. And talks to me every, every day, day. <laughs> and I don't talk a lot. I'm very quiet, so um, 
was like, oh my god, this guy. But he loved me until I didn't show up at his apartment. Um, there was other people there. There were. <laughs>
good looking fellow. Look at his haircut. Like he looks like he probably spends about $30 on that. No, my wife does it, but like, you're like, man, he just looks nice. And you're like, he's probably not mean. Right? He's probably, he's probably a good dude. I am a good dude now. But I have a whole life before this where I was really messed up. And I was really broken. And I was really lost. And I'm going to read you guys one scripture. That's all I'm going to do today because it's all the Lord laid on my heart. It's not just because I'm lazy. This is just what Jesus told me. And you guys heard this a couple weeks ago. Cole read it. But it's Ephesians 5.14. And it says, For this light that makes everything visible, this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and let then Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I was working at a traditional church in Cincinnati, and I read this verse, and God said, it's time. And I said, what's it time for? And then God took me all the way to Missouri. And then he told me what it's time for. You got to plant church. Okay. And then God started taking me through my life. So like I said, I'm a lot different than I was nine years ago standing before you guys. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Everybody know where Ohio is? Yes, sir. Nope. Nope. Cincinnati, you know where it's at? Yes, Bobby's like, no. Bobby. They got some crappy football teams up there. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm from there. We got someone wearing an Ohio State shirt, I see. You guys can beat him up later. He's Taylor's friend. No, I'm just kidding. But I grew up there, and I remember I was really poor. Like, I had four sisters, so there were five kids. And I lived in this house with, like, a log cabin. And I didn't know I was poor until people started telling me I was poor. Does that make sense? Like, Vienna sausages, y'all know what those are? I got those for Christmas. That's for real. Like, those were so precious at my house that we got them for Christmas. Because my mom was like, those are 50 cents a can. There's five of you. No. Ramen. We'll buy a huge 18-pound thing of beef. And so, like, I was really poor. I remember when I was five years old, I got a new pair of shorts. And I was so pumped to wear them in kindergarten. So I wore them to kindergarten. I had Batman on them. Got to kindergarten. And some kids were like, those are underwear. <laughs> Hold on. What do you mean? These are not white and these are not tight. <laughs> they're like, they're boxers. And I was like, what are boxers? They had a little button on the front. And I was like, whoa. Mom! <laughs> Wondering why they were so cheap. And I got them. And so I remember a lot of stuff. I had forces. We'd play outside. We put these long wheat things in our mouth and act like we were smoking. Play kickball. And then there was some weird stuff too, because I remember being in a car and like, I would ask my friends at school about this. I was like, does your parents smoke this stuff and roll up the windows and you feel all like loopy afterwards? Yeah, no. I was like, do you guys drink this purple juice that tastes really bad, but your parents drink it and sometimes they give you sip? And they're like, no. So I remember growing up and I remember being like 12 years old now. I had four sisters. Three of them moved out of the house. I had one little sister living with me. And by the time I was 12, I kind of realized that my parents really liked to smoke marijuana like a lot. 
I realized that I was starting to get hot, hot box when I was like four years old. And I realized that juice I was drinking so was something called MD2020. Y'all ever heard of that? <laughs> yeah, so I like I'm, I'm for real. I thought that was juice. My dad would just give it to me. It's in a brown paper bag. And until I was 12, I really didn't realize it wasn't juice. But man, it tastes gross. So if you're thinking about drinking, just don't do it. And so I remember that, and I turned 12. I went to school sometimes. And my parents were pretty pretty put together up until this point. I mean, they did some bad stuff, and they were pretty put together. Still thought my life was kind of normal. And then I come home from school one day, just get off the bus. And I walk in the house, and nobody's there except for one of my older sisters. And she's rolling up a rug just like this, like she's rolling it up. And I'm like, what's, what's going on right now? And so it was my dad's birthday. It was October 26th. And my sister was like, well, they went with our grandma to get dinner. And I was like, that's weird because wouldn't they have taken us? But I was 12 years old, so I was like, whatever. I'll do something else. And then I get a call from my dad, and he's in the hospital. And then I get a call from my mom, and she's in jail. My mom had stabbed my dad. And I'm talking to them. I'm not sure what's going on. And then a couple days later, I found out that my parents had got addicted to a drug called meth. They'd been staying up all night, and I was like, what's going on? But I was like, it's probably just okay. They're probably just doing adult things. And I was like, it's going to be fine. But then my mom stabs my dad, and my mom goes to jail. And my mom's like the center of my world, right? So now she's gone, and it's just my dad. And I would come home from school, and my dad would be in the car, but not moving. And I remember one day coming home, and all the windows in my entire house were open. All the doors were flung open. My dad was in the car, just like passed out. And everything in my house was gone. And my dad was having a drug overdose. So I learned how to get somebody out of a drug overdose or call 911 so they can hit him with some Narcan. And I remember the ambulance coming and taking him to the hospital. My sister coming and hanging out with us. And then a few weeks later, I remember coming home from school and my car being gone because it got stolen. And my life was just changing like right before me. Everything was just shattered. And then my mom got out of jail. It had been about a year. I was 13 now. And this guy comes to our house, and his name was Andy. And my dad tells me, that's who stole our car. He says, go kill it. And he gives me a knife. And I'm like, okay. It's time to do this. So I get the knife and I go charge, and I'm, I was a big dude, like I've always been a big guy. And I go charging on this guy, and I have this knife, and my mom comes out of nowhere and like Superman tackles me. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, Dad, you want me to kill him? I was like, he stole from us, I gotta get, I gotta get him. And it was crazy, but that dude in that car that he stole took somebody, shot them in the back of the head. Somebody that came to my house all the time, literally executed him in the front seat of my car, they come to find out from the cops. And so my life was changing, and my grandpa started coming over, and he was a pimp downtown Cincinnati. He was a mean dude. Had all these tattoos on him. Uh, he was just a mean guy. He's in a motorcycle gang. I remember him telling me stories of him getting shot at. And I started talking to him. I was like, I got to make money. So he was like, I got you. So I started buying and selling stolen property at school. That led me into buying and selling drugs, and that led me into the next eight years of my life. So we'll fast forward just a little bit now. So now I'm like 16 years old and I never go to school, but somehow I keep getting moved up grades. 
And so everybody at school knows that I'm a mean guy. They know not to mess with me. And when I'm 16 and 17, I begin to realize that I can't feel emotion. The only emotion that I know is anger. I'm angry all the time. And then I'm like, but I want this thing called love. So I started going through women, trying to find love with women. I was like, you can love me. You can love me. You can love me. None of them can love me. Get out of my house. I don't want anything to do with you. You're not making me feel the emotion that I want. So get out of here. I started getting angry. And I remember being 17 years old and just hitting people in the legs with a baseball bat. Like they didn't pay me money, so I would go and I would hit them. I remember taking knives and holding it to their throats and having guns and just making people scared with them. Like I thought it was funny. I was like, this will be fun. I was like, that makes me feel good. So I'd hold a gun to their head or hold a knife to their throat. And it made me feel better when they cried. There was something going on with me. I started to realize at 17 years old, I was messed up. And my parents were so addicted to drugs that they just wanted drugs. So I would buy them drugs. Like they wouldn't do anything else. They didn't drive me places. They didn't buy Christmas. Like the last Christmas I had when I was 11. I had my last Christmas when I was 11, then I moved on, grew up. And my little sister got addicted when she was 13. So I started buying her drugs and keeping her habit going. I was 17 years old. I just turned 18 years old, and now my little niece comes to live with me. She's 12. Because my older sister got addicted to heroin and lost all five of her kids. So now I'm raising a 12-year-old at 18 years old. I got my little sister. I got my parents who are like kids. They're always zonked. My parents had like 13 overdoses apiece. And so I'm 18 years old, I'm all stressed out, all worried, all angry, and I'm having, starting to have anxiety and depression, and I'm feeling all this stuff, and I get diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, all this stuff, and then the doctor's like, take this medication, and I'm like, you got it. So he gives me this thing called Xanax, and I get super addicted. Like, I was taking six and seven of those a day, because I have super high tolerance. So nothing would make me feel where I needed to be, except for when I would take a bunch of these Xanax, drink some alcohol, and make myself feel real good. And I would do that to numb all the emotion I was feeling, but I remember sometimes I would just be sitting there, and I would just start crying. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I don't have any purpose. I'm doing this. I'm taking care of my family. I have a plenty of money. Like I had money. I had power. I had everything that the TV and the media tells you that you need. I could have any woman that I wanted, but I didn't have what I needed. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I remember it all came to a culmination. One night I was 19. And I walked into my house. My little niece was there. You guys got to understand, I love my little niece. Like, I did not want her to get on drugs. And there was this dude there, there, and he was a junkie, and he was snorting a pill in front of my little niece. And inside of me, something just snapped. Now, this wasn't the first time I was going to kill somebody or almost kill somebody. But this dude, in my mind, before I thought about it, I was like, you will die. I am going to kill you. And I went over, and I grabbed him by the neck, and I threw him on the table, and I was squeezing the life out of him. I was watching this man die, and I was happy about it. Something was telling me to do it. And then out of nowhere, a hand comes and gets on my arm. And I'm like, what is this? It was this dude's brother. And I'm a 19-year-old kid, and these 40-year-old men are here, and this guy has his arm on my arm, and he says, please don't kill my brother. And I'm angry. And I'm like, I'm going to kill you too if you don't get out of here. 
and he just leaves. He left his brother to die. And so I'm choking the life out of this man, watching him squirm and just wanting to kill him. And then I look into his eyes and I don't know what happens to me. But I just break down and start crying. I'm just a mess right now. And I get this guy here, I throw him in his car, I take a baseball bat, and I smash his windshield. And I'm like, if I ever see you again, I'll finish the job. And he leaves. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I had a nervous breakdown right there in that fort. And my mom came in and called me a bad name and said, get up. So I got up. Went through life. With a hole inside me. Wondering what the purpose of me was. Wondering why people couldn't love me. Wondering why my parents couldn't love me. Wondering why I was stuck in the place that I was. Just taking something to numb the emotion. But I knew once it got out of my system, the emotion would just return. Why was I so angry? Why was I so mean? Why did I want to hurt people? I have four sisters. One of them is not an addict. And she comes up to me, and I would spend a lot of time at her house, and she started talking to me, and she was like, you should come to church with me. I'm like, I don't know what that is, and I'm not going to whatever it is. I was like, that's probably what I see on TV, where all these people go, and they sit down on their knees, and they say all these weird prayers, and people go around and flick them with water, and there's a bunch of people in suits, and they're all old. Like, why would I do that? And she was like, that's not what it is exactly. Well, I don't want to go. But she was persistent. She asked me like 16 or 17 times in a span of a couple of days. And then I was like, okay, just to get you to shut up, I'm going to go. Right? Like, I grew up in Cincinnati, so it's not like it is here. There's not a church on every corner. The only thing in Cincinnati is some really big churches called Catholic churches. And you don't really go to this, except for, like, when they're having a festival or a carnival. And then you get to gamble and drink. So that's the only, that's the only time you go to this. So that's the only time I ever went to church, was when we went to the festival of St. James. So she keeps telling me to go, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm like, people are not going to talk to me. They're going to be mean to me. I'm just, they're going to go to get you to be quiet. So we roll up to this place, and it's this big building, and it's got all these stained glass windows. And I'm like, oh, God, this is what I've seen on TV. I was like, you lied to me. And then I hear this music coming out of there. It's, what can wash my sin away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why I don't think worship. <laughs> and so I hear that song, and I'm like, I start crying. I'm like, okay, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know what sin means. And why do these people want to wash me in blood? But I'm just like a wreck right now, right? Like, can you imagine being someone who doesn't know about Jesus, walking up to a building, and they're like, let's wash you in blood. After I start the trip, I'm like, okay, it's about to get real weird. <laughs> and so I go in. This guy comes up on a stage and he's wearing a white robe. I'm like, what the heck is going on right now? Who is this guy? He's like, my name's Dave. I'm the pastor. And he starts to preach. And I can't remember anything he said. I was just looking at him. I was like, you're the dorkiest looking dude I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and I tell him that. I know him now. But he preaches, and I'm not listening to anything because I'm just... And 20 year old kid, I'm like, I know more than you do. You just need to shut up. Talking about this thing is not even true. Like, you just keep doing your thing. And then I hear him say, Jesus loves you. And I, in, my, in my heart, I'm like, hold on, old man. 
you don't understand. This dude don't love me. You don't know who you're talking about, but I'll tell you why he doesn't love me. And so I wait for him to finish. And I go up to him, and I'm like, I got a deal with you, man. Like, you said that Jesus loves all of us. You don't know who I am. How can Jesus love somebody like me? He's like, it's true. It's fine. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you need to listen, and I need to tell you, and then you need to give me a piece of paper that says disqualified. Because I'm not good enough. You can stamp it with your Jesus stamp, your blood, whatever weird stuff you do around here. But, like, I just need something that says that I'm not good enough. So we go over to his parsonage, and he starts to talk to me, and I'm like, well, let me tell you who I am. And I told him every single thing. I've never told anybody every single thing. Like in high school, I never told anybody there. I was 20 years old now, graduated high school somehow, and I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, nobody can know all the pain that's actually inside of me, so I have to keep up a front. Y'all ever put on fronts? Yeah, some of y'all are doing it right now. And so you put it on this front, and you're like, yeah, I got it. I'm strong. And I just broke down to this dude. And I was like, this is the things that I've done. I was like, these are who my parents are. This is who I am. My grandpa, he's a pimp. That's his occupation. Like, you don't pay taxes. I'm like, this is who he is. How can Jesus love me? And he looks at me and he's like, where'd you grow up? What kind of child? Who's your parents? And then he's like, but none of that matters. He's because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. And he explained to me what this word sin meant. Disobedience to God. Like anything you do against God. And I'm like, okay. That makes sense. He's like, well, we've all made mistakes. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. I almost killed somebody. Is that good enough for you? And he was like, so you're a sinner. I was like, yes. He's like, well, Jesus loves you. When he died on the cross, so that your sin can be forgiven. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for you. And I was like, okay. Is he still dead? He's like, no, he resurrected three days after. I'm like, okay, so where's he at now? In heaven. He intercedes with you for God. He looks on you. He loves you. He has a heart for you. I don't know what happened. This is right. This is what I need. So I accepted the Lord on that day. And then I started to quit selling drugs. Except for prescriptions, because I thought I got those from the doctors and I could sell them. So that took me a little bit. But I was like, okay, I'm not going to deal drugs anymore. And I had plenty of money, so it really wasn't even that big a deal to me. I got money. I need to give this up. I'm so, and God just helped me. He's like, it's not a big deal. Just let it go. And so I began to let it go. And I was like, well, I'm kind of bored. Maybe I should get a job. So I started selling cell phones. And then I kept going to that church. And then the pastor left. And I went to church every week, but nobody had ever given me one of these. And I would just sit there. And I would take $5 out of my wallet every week. I'd go to the office. And I was like, okay. I have eternity with God, but like there has to be more to this than just me sitting here. Like I just come and I listen to this crap music and like what's up with this? Because they didn't even have a guitar, so I was like, what's up with this? And so I was searching, and then one day I was on the internet and on Facebook or something, and I saw my wife Sarah. We went to high school together. She was good. I was bad. Wasn't gonna work. She was two years younger than me too. The only memory she has of me is me chasing people in the hallway. That's it. Literally. That's it. If you ask her, that's what she'll tell you. And so I was sitting there, and God, and something inside me was like, talk to her. And I was like, okay. So I started talking to her, and she was like, I don't know why you're talking to me, because I'm a Christian, and you're not. I was like, well, news! 
<laughs> I like Jesus. And so we started talking a little bit, and then her mom was like, do you have a Bible? I was like, what's a Bible? Because I still didn't know what this was. Like, I had no idea. I thought only the pastor could speak this. And so her mom was like, we need to read the Bible. And I was like, nobody told me I had to read. She gave me a Bible. She started walking through the book of John with me. And she would talk to me for hours on end. And she took me out of that church and brought me to her church. Okay, and at her church, six people talked to me, so it was a lot better. There was 300 of them, but six talked to me, so I was happy about it. And so she would talk to me, and she would tell me things, and all this cool stuff. I was beginning to fall in love with the words, and I was like, these are Jesus' words. He loves me. I want to know him more. And so now she was like, it's time to serve in children's. I was like, what? I've been doing this for six months. I can't teach them. She was like, I trust you. I was like, you should and she gave me a book, and she sends me in there with another teacher. It wasn't just me myself. And I just start doing it, and God says, this is what you're supposed to do. And I was reading the book of Samuel, and God told me clearly my call to ministry. He was like, just stop and say, speak for your servants listening. And I finally started listening for the first time in my life. Because even after I quit dealing drugs, my goal was to make as much money as I could. But God said, no, I want you to do something else. So I served in children's ministry for a long time. And then my wife and I got married, and we're like, we're going to move to do internships. She's a sign language interpreter, so the deaf school called her here, and we moved here. And I got an internship at the church, and every single day I woke up saying, I hate this place. It sucks. I just want to leave here. Like, Spartanburg is not for me, I need to get out of here. So I started trying to go to Texas, and that didn't work out. But then a church in Cincinnati called me and told me they wanted me to come work for them. So we moved back to Cincinnati, I was like, praise God! Finally out of that place. Sucks. And so we're back up there now. And some crazy stuff happens. My mom asked if she'd come live with us. And I'm like, well, I don't really like you. And Sarah was like, come on. And God was like, come on. And I was like, okay. So she came and lived with me. And crazy thing happened. She started going to drugs. Started going to church. Accepted the Lord. I was like, what's the fuck? And then my mother-in-law got cancer. And she was my best friend. And she would come stay at our house because it was close to the hospital, and we got to care for her. And then my grandfather was a pimp right here. He died in like three weeks. And I remember sitting with him in his hospital bed, and he looked at me, and he said, I feel like there's more to life than what I've done. And I was like, there is. I was like, I'm going to tell you about it. And I started talking about Jesus. He's like, I love this. He's like, I know there's a Jesus, but I'm not good enough for him. And I was like, well, let me tell you a story. <clears throat> And he accepted the Lord. He died two days later. My mom, my mother-in-law, died two days before my, my mother-in-law died two days before my grandpa of cancer. My mom died on January 29, 2017 of an accidental drug overdose. One year to the date of January 29, 2016 when my mother-in-law died. And so all this was going on. My dad died of a drug overdose. My aunt died of a drug overdose. My uncle died of a drug overdose. All my friends that I ever had died of drug overdoses. And I was a Christian. I was like, what's going on? And then God was like, there's purpose in all of this. There's purpose. There's purpose. I'm doing something. Your grandpa's in heaven because of your story that I gave you. Your mom, she accepted me. She's with me. There's purpose even in death. 
And I was serving at that church, and we had seen amazing stuff go on. I was going through a lot of stuff, obviously, because people were dying. And I was just like, okay, what are you doing, God? And God just kept reassuring me and giving me joy and saying, it's okay. And I was like, yes, it is okay. And then God said, Ricky, I want you to plant a church. I told you all that story at the beginning. And I was like, well, God, where do you want me to go? And then I got calls from 13 people all across the United States. And they were like, come plant a church with me, come plant a church with me, come plant a church with me. I was like, well, how do you even know that I'm planting a church? They're like, God's laid you on my heart. And I was like, you don't even know me. They're like, it's okay, just come. And I was like, okay, let me pray about it. God, show me where you want me to go. Show me where you want me to go. And then I was in Cincinnati, and they were like, we're going to give you a house to plant a church with us. You've got it all taken care of. We're going to pay you and everything. And then God was like, no. And I was like, God, this is a pretty sweet setup. No, it's God was like, I want you to go to Sparkburg, South Carolina. And I was like, God, we've talked about this. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not feeling it. And then I went to bed and woke up the next morning, and I just had this overwhelming love and brokenheartedness for Sparkburg, South Carolina. And I was like, Sarah, we've got to go on vacation to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And she was like, what? Where? I was like, maybe we go to the beach as we go through there. And so we came here for safe for five days. God said, this is where I want you guys. And confirmed to both of us. And then I remembered the time that I was in church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I'm not speaking bad about churches, so I hope you all don't feel that. But I remember seeing people who were going just so they'd go to lunch with their grandparents. And God was like, these people need relationship. They came to him and they said, Father, Father. And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. God said, there's a lot of people with knowledge there. They know about Jesus, but they have no relationship. And I was like, yes, I'm ready. So I moved here with nothing. Quit our jobs. Didn't even have an apartment to live in. God provided it all. Had a one-month-old daughter. I don't know. God took care of her. And what's crazy is my wife doesn't even have eggs. Like, she's barren. She can't have kids. We didn't do any research. Thank God, literally delivered. My wife had a baby, two babies, Titus and Ellie. I had a vision of them the night before they were born. The night before I found out they were not born. And I was just like, God, what are you doing? And I moved into an apartment I couldn't afford because the manager didn't know the Lord. And I don't even know how they approved me. And then I get a check in the mail for one year worth of rent. I was like, okay, God, that's where you want me. I see. And then I started small groups, and they grew really quickly. And and then we're like, we need to start services. So we started looking for a place, and we're like, let's have a bell walk there. They're like, you can call that bit like 30 people in there. I was like, it'll work. We need 50. And so I was like, let's make it happen. So we started meeting over there, and then God grew us really fast. We started on movie nights, and a thousand people came. And God started doing some cool stuff. And then this opened up because God gave it to us. <laughs> he literally gave us this place. We don't own it, but it does mean it. I didn't do anything for it. The owner was just like, I see what you guys are doing for the community. I want you to be here. Now we're here, one year later, and I'm the pastor here, and I suck. <laughs> like, y'all have heard my story. I'm a broken individual. I messed up. I made mistakes. I still make mistakes. My life has not been perfect, even when I accepted Jesus. I'm basically an orphan now. I have no family. I have, like, one sister. And I'm here... And I'm pumped. Because you guys are my family. I'm a broken person sent to tell people how broken I am so that they can see how good God is. Because none of you would have expected 
that a drug dealer would be before you teaching you the Word of God. None of you expected maybe a year ago, a week ago, a month ago, that you'd even be sitting in this place hearing a story of reconciliation with a dude named the Father. Some of you may have been out partying two weeks ago. You may have been partying last night. You might be like, you might have the worst hangover you've ever had in your life right now. And you're like, I just want this dude to shut up so I can go get some eggs and drink some coffee and let this thing go off. Some of you might be broken on the inside. You might be sitting here today and wondering how you can even get through another moment because you feel like you have nothing in your life. You just feel like there's no purpose. You might be the same as me. You feel like you don't feel emotion. Or you might feel too much emotion. And you're sitting here and you're thinking and you're wondering and you're trying to figure out how you got here. But let me tell you how you got here. Every decision that you made in your entire life has brought you to this point. People often ask me, wouldn't you change your life if you could? And I'm like, no. I would not change one thing that happened to me. Because every mistake, every person, every way that I have done everything that I've seen has brought me to this point. And at this point, I'm happier than I ever could be in my entire life. Because I have my family, I have you as my family, and I get to tell people how they can be saved by Jesus Christ. Woo! That's good. And I'm going to tell you guys something. I've been doing ministry for like five, six years, something like that. I've led individually myself, this is not to brag, I mean this is to brag on the Lord, over 300 people into a relationship with Jesus in three years. That's how many. Not because I'm good. But because Jesus is good. It just takes the willingness of being willing to show how broken you are so that people can see that there's someone who can repair. So that people can see that God is good. So that people can see that they don't have to be separated from the Lord. So that people who don't have a family can see that they can be adopted. So that people who are far from Him can feel Him and see Him and know that they have a purpose. Your life is not for yourself. Your life is not for someone else. Your life is for the Lord. I, when I, look, I haven't said this in a while, but when I first started this church, when we first started worship, I would stand back here, and every week I would tell you guys, this is the most beautiful picture that I've ever seen in my entire life. And right now, right here today, if I could take a picture, I would. And I would take a picture of you guys, and I would put it on my wall in my living room, and say, look how beautiful each and every single one of these people are. Not because I like them, but because I love them. Because Jesus has been so good to me, I want people to know that Jesus can be good to them. I don't want people to be separated. I don't want people to not have a purpose. I don't want people to feel like they're alone. I want to go to people who are sitting there as a 13-year-old kid with his mom in jail and his dad overdosed and tell him, it's okay. Jesus loves you. I didn't hear that until I was 20 years old. Didn't hear it until I was 20 years old. That might be crazy to some of y'all. Nobody even told me about Jesus until I was 20 years old. In the mission of my life, the mission of this church, the mission of this family right here is to tell people that they can be reconciled to the Father. You guys are beautiful. No matter what the world has told you, you're beautiful. No matter what the world has told you, you're not good enough. You're good enough. I'm good enough. You're set. Like, you're good. Like, look at me and look at you. You're like Tiger Woods, and I'm like Isaac. Right? So, like, it's like you're good enough. You're going to be okay. God loves you enough. He sees you. When you walk in the room and God's looking at you, he's like, oh, man, that's mine. 
He's like, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. That's the most beautiful man that I've ever seen in my entire life. I want nothing more than them. You know how much I want them? Even though they disobey me, I'm going to sacrifice my son for them. Ooh, that's powerful, right? God sent his son to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. So that people like me, so that people like you, could enter into the union with Jesus Christ. Y'all, today is the day to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Evaluate your heart. See if you know the Lord. If you've heard that this story of mine that God has given me today, that you feel like the Lord is calling you into his heart, then now is the time to do it. So I'm asking you to bow your heads.